We don't ever want to ascribe to a person what we would ascribe to God. We are told in Scripture to call upon God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. We're never told that we should do this with people. Hello, this is Pastor John. This is Pastor Tim. It's that time again. It's time for the uh, Every Moment His podcast. Best, best time of the week. Right. I bet, yeah, people just wait. <laughs> they they When's it going to be released, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Star-studded. <laughs> you know what I'm waiting for? What? I'm waiting for you to pick up that that book of dad jokes that you have there. <laughs> you can't tell people I have them. <laughs> I saw that on your desk, and, and I thought, I bet he's going to bring that to the yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to my uh, my my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. They got me a book of dad jokes. Very nice. So it will never end. Is there one that just kind of rises to the top that you'd like to share? Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. Why why do dogs run in circles, John? No clue. Because it's hard to run in squares. <laughs> That's a pretty good dad joke. It is true, yeah. Or why did the cow jump over the moon? Let me know. To get to the Milky Way. That was Chris. Yeah, I mean, you might get a chuckle out of a yeah. six-year-old with that. I think so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I just can't wait until next episode because <laughs> there's a lot of dad jokes in there. Uh, there's many. I want to give a shout out to Spencer Heinrichs, our parish administrator. He really is the man behind this podcast who he orchestrates is. it. He puts it together with his technological skills. And he gave us some beats this week. Yeah. Did you hear that intro music? That was fantastic. Wow. Suspenseful. And then it came in with the beats. Bam. You know, it, it like starts and you're like, what style of music is this? Like yeah. a slow jazz kind of thing. Yeah. And boom, <laughs> the beats drop in. Yeah. And you think, man, these pastors got to be the coolest pastors. Man, get them some turntables and a microphone, yeah. right? Man. <laughs> check, check. Check, check. Um, <laughs> Say, we're, we're talking about the saints today, right? We, we are talking to, about the saints, not the New Orleans saints, to be clear. Yeah. So we, we've been we've been talking a little bit about... Roman Catholicism, and we might say, you know, why we are not Roman Catholic, uh, mm-hmm. but we are uh, evangelical Catholics or universal church Christians. Also known as Lutherans. Yeah, we would, we would argue that we are trying to be more Catholic. Than the Pope? Than the Catholics. Than the Catholics. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to be more universally uh, secured to the historical church yeah. and the testimony of the apostles and Jesus Christ than the Catholics are. We're trying to be old school. That's right. Like apostles old school. Yeah, so our argument would be that the Roman Catholic Church is the one who kind of left the, the tracks. Yeah, they got a little off. And we were trying to reform, get back to that center where we know things are certain, where we know our, our salvation is secure. Right. And actually, Luther kind of invented, um, you know, looking back into the church fathers, a, a practice called patristics. Patristics. 
Luther and the the guys he was with kind of invented that art because they were trying to prove to the Catholic Church we're just holding what the old church guys have and, always said. And patristics means the study of the church fathers. Right. And so this means the theologians and doctors of the early church, like Athanasius or Irenaeus or Ignatius or whoever. Chrysostom. All the guys that... Um, really came up with the, our understandings of, say, the, the Trinity or the two natures of Christ or uh, what we say in the creeds, really. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so Luther and then some of uh, his uh, later heirs, so we would say somebody like Martin Chemnitz yep. um, or even Philip Melanchthon, who was one of his contemporaries, they studied the scriptures and the church fathers. Yeah, I mean, primarily they're saying we, we believe sola scriptura, right? Only the scriptures are authoritatively mm. God's word. However, they're trying to appeal to some of those sources that the Roman Catholic Church would have been appealing to, right. which is those early church voices. Yeah, and, and to the topic of our episode today, you know, we're going to talk about the saints, how we consider the saints, do we pray to them, if we don't, why don't we? And also we're going to take a look at one saint in particular, uh, the Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. uh, and um, it's interesting if you go back and you read the Church Fathers, you kind of get two stories. You get some Church Fathers that will maybe talk about praying to the saints or even talking about the Virgin Mary in the ways that modern Roman Catholics will. And then you get other Church Fathers who don't. Uh, for example, to our last episode, you have some Church Fathers that kind of argue for something like the Pope or the papacy. Mm-hmm. And then you have others who strongly oppose it and say, nope. Uh, so we have these issues in the Christian church that have been kind of long-standing issues. And sometimes we find unity, other times we don't. Right. Some things are not as clearly spelled out in the scriptures as right. we, we, we might like. We have to argue mm-hmm. uh, through reason and logic. Uh, to get to them. But anyway, yeah. T- today we're really going to look at our relationship to the saints. And in particular, I think it's most useful to talk about one idea, and that is uh, prayers to the saints. Right. So calling upon the saints. So just to define that, you know, so everyone knows what we're talking about, is uh, Roman Catholics, uh, as well as some other Eastern Orthodox uh, mm-hmm. churches, they will say, you can call upon, say, St. Anthony or St. Mary or St. Joseph, right? The if you want to sell your house, you got to <laughs> yeah. check in with St. Joseph. Yeah, he's right. the man. He's the traveling man, right? He's a good real estate guy. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you would pray to them, and then they, who have a closer standing with God yeah. in his presence, they kind of supercharge your prayer, and not to be flippant, but that's kind of the idea, is... They supercharge your prayer, and they're a little bit closer to God, and so they have a little bit more sway over him. A little more cred. Yeah, a little more cred in his in his presence, and that your prayers can be uh, kind of in- amplified, you could say. Yeah, they turn your prayers up to 11. And maybe that's an uncharitable way to describe it, because maybe it's it's a lot like this. I've heard Roman Catholic friends of mine, they'll say, look, I pray to, you know, I ask you to pray for me, mm-hmm. friend. And I say, yeah, that's cool. Um, but they then extend that to say, well, just like I asked you to pray for me, I can ask someone who has died and is with the Lord to pray with me. And they too mm-hmm. do. So they see themselves uh, in a continuance with those saints who have died. Yeah, and, and there is a nice thought here. 
I mean, let's let's talk about this for a second. I I, I appreciate within the Roman Church this this real desire to be connected with those who've gone before us. I think that you talked about that in your sermon right. about these like long-standing traditions, like the Church in Poland, yeah. where uh, they're remembering those who passed on and. And I think that we lack that in the American church, like you said. Uh, and, and I do understand this logic of asking those to pray for you who have passed on. And, and it may be that the saints pray for us, the saints who have passed on pray for the church here on earth. Great. But we run into some trouble when we, when we talk about trying to contact them now. <laughs> yeah. So wh- what are some of our objections to this? <clears throat> Yeah, so I have I think we have a couple. One is that just practically speaking, we have no promise in scripture that the saints can actually hear us. Yeah. Be- because in order to be able to hear our prayers, they would have to be in some sense omniscient. Yeah. They'd have to know all things. That's something that scripture ascribes to God alone. Right, to the Father, Son, and Spirit, but not to any saint. So I, I think you mentioned two problems there. Mm-hmm. The first problem, which I think is the most significant, is, look, Jesus never says, oh, by the way, you should pray to Abraham. Right. And the New Testament canon, Paul, Peter, mm-hmm. um, all the authors of the New Testament, they, they don't say, oh, and by the way, you should pray to Jacob. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the, of course, a saint, one who is with the Lord. So we have no prescription and no promise in the canon of Scripture. Yeah, there, there's no promise that they can hear us because in order to hear us, they'd have to be God-like. And then also we get some pretty strict warnings in Scripture that we're not supposed to contact the dead. Yeah. <laughs> so in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, you know, consulting with mediums and necromancers and such things is strictly forbidden uh, and also we have one story in the Old Testament where Saul tries to conjure up uh, Samuel who died and it didn't go well. And so we just want to be really careful to not try to make contact with those who who are have passed on, even if they are with the Lord. I think another issue too is just one that, and I think this is my most, the, the most important issue is that we don't ever want to ascribe to a person what we would ascribe to God. Mm-hmm. We are told in Scripture to call upon God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Mm-hmm. We're never told that we should do this with people yeah. who have passed on. And so we can begin to to get this idea that the saints are maybe like a, another mediator between us and God. Right. And that ain't, that ain't good. Yeah. No, it's it's not. And I think uh, to to go back a little bit to what we were saying about, you know, if it is the case, here's a logical issue. If if it is the case that uh, saints can hear our prayers, uh, how many emails can you answer in a day, Pastor John? I don't know. I mean, a full <laughs> tilt. You know, you yeah. might be able to do a hundred. I don't know. So if your house isn't selling. <laughs> it's because St. Joseph is really busy I know, right? with the real estate market. Yeah, so we would have to say in some way that though, if, if it is the case that saints can hear us, God is kind of has gifted them with kind of part of this divine power, yeah. which again, we have no promise of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if it is the case that he's gifting them that 
well, then he would hear those prayers too, only to have them hear them yeah. through divine power so that they could then pray to him. Yeah. It gets a little bit weird. It does. And yeah, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to talking about that very special saint named Mary uh, a little bit later in the episode. But uh, I think that during the time of the Reformation, we should mention that the saints, it was believed that the saints could share their merits with you or their good works. And so it works like this. Uh, the saints, they lived such holy, awesome, God-fearing lives with so many good works that they've got good works to spare so they can share. It's kind of like, mm. you know, Halloween candy. Yep. Like they went to all the houses. <laughs> they got all the Halloween candy and they've got plenty to spare. And so you can petition the, the saints and they can share some of their merit or good works with you, right? Uh, which will help you to get to heaven sooner as you're in purgatory. And so I don't really know how much the Roman church abides by that belief anymore, but it yeah. was a thing at the, in, at the time of the Reformation and the reformers had a, a problem with it. Well, and yeah, absolutely. I think this is the biggest difference is when we say saint, when the Bible says saint, it means those who are called holy by God. Yeah. Those who are set aside for God's purposes or those who are covered in Christ. That's what makes you holy. Right. Um, and in the cat, and we mentioned this last time too, in the Catholic system, uh, your salvation, your holiness is a progressive project. Mm. And so those people who are ahead of you in that project can help you out a little bit. They can yeah. chip in a little. Right. Uh, and help you out along the way. And we just say, here's why you can pray to God directly because of Christ. Because you're his child. You're God's yeah. child. It's you're kind of like, you know, it's like my kids don't have to go through an intermediary to get to me because I'm their father. They try sometimes, though, don't they? Maybe. Go, can you ask dad this for me? Yeah. Can, <laughs> can, can ask mom, ask dad. Yeah. Who's going to be most lenient? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if, if, if my daughter wants to sit in my lap, she doesn't have to go through any red tape. I mean, she gets to sit in my lap. Yeah. And it's the same thing with God's own children who have been made righteous through Christ and who have the Holy Spirit through faith. And, and so they are welcome to come to God without any middleman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so saints are not those who are declared saints by the Pope or by a council. Saints are those who are declared holy as saints in baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we all have, I mean, we all have a, a, a standing before God of saint, all Christians do. Yeah. And therefore we all have equal access to him. Right. Um, so yeah, that I hope that's helpful. Yeah, and, and so one more thing about saints. I think we can say that among the many saints, that there are notable saints mm-hmm. who we would look at and say they are wonderful examples of good works and faith. And we, so for example, uh, you know, Mother Teresa always comes to mind sure. or um, some of the church fathers, uh, we look at them and say they're great encouragements for us. Yeah. And so what the reformers said is that we should, we should honor the saints and we should honor them in three specific ways. And this comes from the apology uh, to the Augsburg Confession in our Lutheran Book of Confessions, page 238, if you're reading, um, from the Kolb Wangert edition, <laughs> which is the best edition. It is. <laughs> uh, uh, not from the Teddy Tappert edition. 
uh, uh, version, yeah. the big red one. Replace that. Yeah. But um, they say that we are called to honor the saints in three ways. Number one, thanksgiving. We give thanks for their good works and their faith. To God. To God. Yeah, we give thanks to God for their presence. So we us. sing hymns like for all the saints. Yeah. You know, and we give yeah, thanks or, for them. you know, uh, the best understanding of going and visiting a grave of a loved one who taught you the faith. And you yeah. would say, thank you, God, that this person affected my life. Thanks for grandma. Yep. Yeah. Uh, two, uh, the strengthening of our faith. So we look at them and we are inspired by their boldness, by their courage, by yeah. their confession of faith, uh, especially the martyrs, those yeah. who gave their lives. So, uh, you know, I mentioned this Sunday as an example, uh, Jan Hus. Yeah. And he had been burned at the stake for just simply wanting to preach the word of God yeah. and critiquing uh, an erring couple of popes. Yeah. And that is inspiring. We look at that and we say, okay, if he did it. I can um, go to church on Sunday. <laughs> he was burned <laughs> at the stake. Yeah. I think I can get out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I could, I could be burned at the stake too. But well, I, went, I we set the bar a little lower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, hopefully going to church isn't on the same level as being burned at the stake. But um, yeah. 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 If so, we need to update our church practices. Right. Okay. And then number three, imitation. That means that we imitate their example. Uh, and we can look at the Old Testament and say, we want to imitate the faith of Abraham or the courage of David, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So there's a threefold honoring of the saints among us. And I think we can err in the other way. And we could just say, Man, those saints are just nothing, right? They're it, they're just idolatrous to even think about them, or or just not even have them in our conscience at all. Like yeah, and that's that's conscience. like what a lot of Protestants do. And so, for example, if you let's say that you were the new pastor at a non-denominational church, you know, something something side Baptist non-denominational church, and and you decided to celebrate All Saints Day, I bet you'd have people lining up saying, what the heck is this? Are we Roman Catholics? Right. Because right. the language in popular American evangelicalism is just not there yeah. to honor and remember the saints. And so, and, and this is one of the problems I have with non-denominational expressions of Christianity is is it's almost like if you if you were going to recognize saints, you might recognize Saint Billy Graham. <laughs> I mean, there's like yeah. no real. It's almost like the church just started a hundred years yeah, ago. Yeah, it's like ahistorical. Know? Yeah, it's ahistorical. Yeah. I, so quick, can I give you a little funny story about my family? Sure. So uh, my my family is Roman Catholic, and so Irish Catholic and Italian Catholic in Buffalo, New York, and my grandfather's little Henri, uh, his name is uh, Salvatore. It's a good Italian uh, name. Yeah, but we call him Sam. But um, on St. Patrick's Day, he would always celebrate St. Joseph's Day. Uh, so he, so everyone would be, you know, drinking green beer and, and waving around St. Patrick's, a big deal, and he would be having these red flags and stuff and celebrating St. Joseph. <laughs> he was being, he was protesting. He, yeah, yeah. He was, was being really, a Protestant. Good point, good point. Yeah. He was protesting the Irish. There you <laughs> go, yeah. Um yeah, so let's talk about that very special saint, the Virgin Mary. And and this is, I think, one of the most notable differences between Roman Catholics and Lutheran Catholics. Because now, if you go to some Lutheran churches, you might actually have a statue of Mary with uh, the child Jesus. Or maybe Mary depicted in some stained glass windows. Mm -hmm. um, but there will never be any prayers offered to the Virgin 
However, right. if you go to a, a Roman Catholic mass, both in the design of the church, you're, you're going to see Mary and Joseph. You're going to see the Holy Family up there. Uh, they get, you know, a prime spot up by yeah. the altar. Sometimes, often I've seen, uh, it's just stu- stuck out to me, but in some cathedrals and, or Catholic churches, Mary's image is looming and, and the Jesus figure is tiny. Yeah, right. Which, yeah, sometimes reflects the practice in which Mary even kind of is a, is a larger figure uh, in people's popular faith life than Jesus is. Um, she gets more prayer time than Jesus does. Yeah, yeah and, and you're going to hear the, uh, the rosary. You're going to hear right. the, uh, um, yes, the Our Father, but also the Hail Mary. And well, let's talk, can we talk about the Hail Mary in particular? Yeah, not a pass in football <laughs> originally. Yeah, but, you know, Hail Mary is uh, a prayer offered to Mary. Um, yes. And so it, it's, it comes from the scriptures, right? It comes from the words of Elizabeth, right? Uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and, and blessed the is the fruit, fruit of thy of womb, Jesus. Jesus. Which, that's all good stuff. Yeah, I know. So it's just yeah. simply quoting scripture, and we're like, that's cool. It's just that the first part of hailing Mary, like... right. You know, like in Star Trek, Star you, Trek would, yeah. you would hail, hail somebody yeah. so you could talk <laughs> to <laughs> them. <laughs> and in this case, you're calling upon Mary. And, and, and yes, the things that you're saying about Mary are true, that, that she is blessed a- among women and that she is the mother of our Lord. Uh, and yes, blessed is the fruit of her womb, Jesus. But then the next part is pray for us sinners now and in, right. in the hour of our death. And I think a lot of people have, honestly, they derive a lot of emotional comfort from praying something like this because they've been doing it for so long. But the measure of something is not its emotional effect on us, right? The measure of something is if it's true. Mm-hmm. Is it true that Mary can hear us? And is it true that she is sinless? Mm-hmm. And so that's one of our, our major departures. Uh, the scriptures don't say that Mary is sinless was sinless. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think you're on to a point there that I've run into Lutherans, you know, who still pray the Hail Mary even after they've joined a Lutheran church because they can't let go of that kind of comforting um, prayer that they grew up with. Um, you know, but it goes back to that question of the saints. Number one, is there any promise in scripture that Mary can even hear us? Because that would mean that she would be omniscient, that she can hear our prayers. Uh, is there any promise from God um, that this is pleasing to him, that we should? Mm. And, and also, I think just frankly, as a Christian, I would say, I've been a Christian for many years and I've never felt the need to call on Mary because I'd rather call upon the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I would rather pray to the triune God because I know that I have access to the Father through Christ. And that's the yeah. point. And you have a command there from God. Yeah, God has clearly told me that I, that I ought to call him Father. I mean, Jesus gave me the Lord's Prayer. And, 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 the, the, and this is really, I think, the important point to make is that the sacrifice of Jesus is so all-sufficient that the worst, foulest sinner, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, can come into the presence of the Father and pray, come to the throne of grace and mercy, as we read about in Hebrews chapter four, 
through uh, the once and for all offering of the body of Christ, which we read about, I think, in Hebrews 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus is the high priest. He gives us access to the Father, and we don't need any intermediary. We don't need any middleman or woman in this case. Uh, yeah. we can come to the Father with well, confidence. Well, yeah, I, th- I love in that, you know, you mentioned that passage in Hebrews, and it's so striking. It says, he has opened us a way through the curtain. And in the Old Testament, that was the curtain separating the temple from the Holy of Holies, where God's yeah. presence was. And, and then the author of Hebrews says, that is through his flesh. So the flesh of Jesus was the curtain that was opened, mm-hmm. allowing us access directly to the Holy of Holies. So, so how do we see Mary? Well, I think certainly uh, we should we should leap to defend her as a, f- a faithful Christian. She's a, yeah. She listened and said, may it be so, as you have said. She mm-hmm. did not doubt like Zechariah in the near context of the Bible. He doubted the, the word of the angel. And Mary said, let it be to me as you have said. And so it's this, she's this wonderful example of faith. Um, and we should call her blessed above all women. She bore... Uh, the Son of God into this world. Yeah. You know, we, we believe that the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and took upon, uh, took use of her body, right, for the sake of bringing forth Jesus. Yeah, and that's why, you know, before Lutherans got so Protestantized <laughs> in, in America, uh, many Lutherans, before they came here to the States, uh, would celebrate certain days in the church year, like the Annunciation, yeah. which would be the day where Christians remember that the angel Gabriel came to Mary and, and she said, let it be done for me, as you have said. Or they also uh, celebrate, um, I mean, the Virgin Mary in general. They, they, they give thanks for her. They, they imitate her faith. Yep. And she's really like the first among the saints. Mm-hmm. And, and so we should give thanks for her. But um, there are some, some beliefs that are just not helpful, that kind of go too far. And, and I would say in the history of the church and in Roman Catholicism in particular, sometimes the logic of one doctrine or one teaching will sometimes be taken too far. And, be l- and, and lead to this belief about Mary that's not defended mm. in Scripture. So, for example, um, in around the, third or the fourth century, I believe, it became popular to call Mary uh, the, the mother of God or the bearer of God, the theotokos, as it's called in Greek, uh, the bearer of God. And, and this actually is, a, is an orthodox statement. We can say this because... because the two, the two natures of Jesus, his divine nature and his human nature, are so personally united in, his, in, his, um, in the one Christ that when Mary gave birth to Jesus, we can say that she was giving birth to, to God. To God, yeah. Because God in the flesh, the word became flesh. And, and so, yes, we can actually call Mary the mother of God in the same way that we could even say that when Jesus died on the cross, in a, in a certain sense, God died. Right. Those are really audacious things to say, yeah. but the, the two natures of Christ, of Christ are so personally united yep. that, that we can say what is true of God is true of man. And, uh, but um, this led to this kind of cult of Mary 
and, and these beliefs about her that are not scriptural. So a couple of them, I'll throw them out here and then we can mm -hmm. discuss them a bit. Uh, the um, Immaculate Conception, so saying that Mary was born without sin, without the stain of original sin. Uh, the Assumption of Mary, that, that she ascended into heaven. Mm. And then also this belief that Mary is a co-redemptrix, meaning that she is sort of a co-redeemer, that she shares in the work of salvation. Yeah. So, let, well, let, let's take that last one first. Um, we were talking a bit about this already, but yeah, the idea that Mary somehow empowers salvation, that she is mm -hmm. an integral part of salvation. Now, we can maybe test this. Could God have accomplished salvation without Mary? Yeah. But could he have accomplished salvation without Jesus Christ? No. Right. So <laughs> yeah. this is where we would say, well, flag on the play. I w we wouldn't label Mary as this kind of intricate or integral gear in the process of salvation. Let's not go that far. Right. Because some Roman Catholics would say, well, in a certain sense, our salvation depends upon Mary because she had to say yes to the angel Gabriel mm -hmm. and, and, then, and then say yes to bearing the Christ and raising him. And, and so it's through her that salvation comes to us in a certain sense. But you could say that about Joseph. You could say yeah. that about all the way back to Abraham or to David yeah, or to right. the whole nation of Israel. They all played a part, but it, it, it's not, but we wouldn't say that Mary shed her blood for us or that she lived the perfect life and, and fulfilled the law for us or right. that her righteousness is given to us. No. Um, and so that's where we think that Roman Catholic theology goes too far in, in saying that she, in some sense, is contributing to our salvation. Now, in a very charitable way as well, we can talk in some sense that we do, like humans, other humans do uh, participate in redemption along with Christ and that we join in on his mission. We become part of the vehicle of sharing the word, for example. Exactly. So, for example... If, if you preach a sermon or you share the gospel with somebody and they come to know the Lord, yeah, God used you to apply salvation to somebody. But, yeah. but God gets all the glory uh, because Jesus did the work and the Spirit creates faith. Um, right. So w I would be fine with saying something like Mary is a, quote, co-redeemer if we could say the exact same thing about any Christian in their vocation of sharing the gospel. You know yeah, what I mean? and as long as we, as we said that the work of redemption yeah. that satisfies God's wrath, that, that takes away our sins, is Solely. located 100 complete percent in Jesus alone, so that we say that Christ alone is our salvation. That yeah. Because really, you know, we're talking about what's the object of our faith. Right. The object of our faith is Christ crucified. And nothing else. Right. So it's like, I'm, t I'm cool talking about that as long as we say a co-redeemer is just nothing else but a signpost to the yeah. true redeemer. Yeah. Yeah. So um, then these other beliefs about, you know, like the uh, Immaculate Conception. Um, I mean, we just don't see it in Scripture. I mean, there's nothing in Scripture that would suggest that, that Mary herself did not need redeeming like we do. And, and to be charitable, I think that some Roman Catholic theologians would say that, you know, that even that, that sin is, is forgiven kind of ahead of time in Christ for Mary. But 
I mean, mm. there's all these kind of hair-splitting arguments. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we just don't see it in Scripture. I mean, I- and so we don't buy it. So they, they would say something. So I, th- I think what's going on, and, you know, maybe a Roman Catholic will write into the show and correct us, a uh, theologian. But I think what's going on is when they see, okay, if Mary is giving birth to Jesus, Mary must be perfect. She must be a perfect temple to bear the Christ. Mm-hmm. That means she cannot be sinful. If she's sinful, Christ is sinful. And so they take that logic and they force it into their theology and, and into the understanding of the scriptures. It doesn't exist in the scriptures, but their philosophical thinking forces them to say, well, this maybe is what happened that she was, that Mary must have been born immaculately yeah. and miraculously. Um, right. And therefore it is so. <laughs> and, and so these things beca- become sort of speculation yeah or even self-fulfilling yeah and and they almost remind me of what paul talks about about myths you know Mm -hmm. that in in his letter to timothy like don't fall into myths and genealogies and all Mm -hmm. these things that are just kind of like um speculation yeah because you know does this teaching support my faith in christ Mm -hmm. um well no so yeah yeah, and, and I think when it all comes down to it, we can talk about all these different theological things and these different nuanced arguments, but my problem when it comes down to it is that when I speak with a lot of Roman Catholics, th- there's this huge emphasis on Mary, and it seems to kind of overshadow Jesus and what we've been given in Christ. Uh, I'm not hearing the language of faith in Christ, trust in his work. I'm hearing the language of um, of of Mary being like an intercessor, a co-redeemer. You know, I, I, I have a, you know, a family member um, who, who passed away. And, and when this person was passing away, they were praying to Mary yeah. and, and not to Jesus. And, and so that's, that's just an example of what is the church teaching? Are we teaching practically that people would hold on to Jesus or that they would hold on to, to Mary or any of the other saints. Mm-hmm. And this is, so this is one of the dangers is that our thinking and praying to the saints would become a form of idolatry or superstition. Yeah, idolatry and, and yeah. superstition. And that's exactly what the reformers were yeah. were critiquing. So yeah, a good example of this as well is like, yeah, people burying St. Joseph in their gardens when they're trying to sell their house. Like yeah. this is clearly nothing but a superstition. Yeah. Definitely. Just it's shameful all the way around. Yeah. <laughs> just find a good realtor. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe lower the price on your house a little yeah, bit. Get good, uh, uh, good advertisement. Yeah. All right. So about uh, the assumption, do you want to talk about that for a second? I don't know where they come with uh, the assumption. I don't know as much about that, so I'm not yeah. going to go there. But again, it's not represented in the scriptures. No, I can tell you that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Where th- and the idea would be that Mary was, uh, she did not die in the flesh, but was rather ascended like Jesus straight into heaven. Yeah, and, and I like think Elijah. I, I, and I wonder if maybe what was behind this was this this desire to to you know how could it be that the flesh that gave that gave birth to the flesh of Christ would see corruption, would right. decay, that yeah. you know that that the son would be with the mother, and 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 so I think that it yeah it's touching and heartfelt, but yeah. Once again, I just don't see it in scripture, so I'm not going to believe it. <laughs> yeah. 
So to, to kind of end, I would just say, um, hey, look, if you're a Catholic and you've been praying the rosary to, to Mary in particular for a long, long time, I would try to think, okay, don't pray to Mary, but I think it's okay to meditate on the words of the angels, meditate on this blessing to Mary and think about what God has done mm-hmm. through her. That's great. And give God thanks for yeah. that. I would just, yeah, maybe take out that Hail Mary. Well, and the uh, cool thing to think of is this, is that, you know, like what posture would Mary want us to take yeah, good question. towards God? I, you know, when I read the book of Revelation, I actually don't, I see the elders and I see the four living creatures and I see all the saints bowing down before the throne. Uh, you don't have any language of Mary there. And she would have certainly been, um, have, have died by the time that we're pretty sure that John wrote Revelation. Mm-hmm. And we don't see any mention of, of Mary there. I think that she's part of that great company, right, of people, of saints and angels who, well, there's this, there's this line in, in Revelation. I can't remember exactly where in Revelation, where John falls down before the angel and doesn't the angel say, right don't end. do that. Yeah. Don't worship me. I'm just, I worship God. And I, I see Mary in that same way of saying, don't, don't pray to me. Yeah, don't, I'm just a creature like you. <laughs> pray to yeah. my son. Pray to, to yeah. God the Father. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Pray to the triune God along and, and worship him along with me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Mary needed to be saved just as much as we need to be saved. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you're right. She's the one as well. You know, there's this picture in Revelation where all the elders throw down their crowns and worship Jesus yeah. and the Lamb and God. And um, Mary would be one. If she was crowned, she would throw it down at the feet of, at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. All right. So don't pray to Mary, but do but honor do her. do pray to the Father yeah. through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Cool. Amen. Amen.